Well, good morning, everyone. Can I just say, it's, um, it's, it's great to be here. It's lovely to be here. As John said, we were in the church for, as a number of you know, we were here for 10 years uh, in Hull Vineyard, and they were wonderful, wonderful years, and we have great memories, and we have a real heart for this church, and indeed, uh, this city. And um, as, as we were worshipping, I couldn't help but, but sense, there's a, I, I sense a real health about this place, about this church, and um, I, I really feel that, you know, you've got good stuff coming down the road. I, I, I sense that the Lord is going to really release uh, creativity amongst you, and um, I think there's real growth coming. I really had a strong feeling of that during the, um, the but this, this overriding sense of, of, of health, uh, which is, is, is wonderful and is of God. So bless you guys, and I, I look forward to see what's, what's going to happen in this wonderful city. Okay, well, um, when I was growing up, as a young Christian rather, I, I always uh, was perplexed by, the, by Solomon, um, because I thought, here's a man who is described as the wisest man on the planet, and yet seems to do some very unwise things. And, um, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll recall how Solomon was about to, to take on uh, the kingship of Israel and inheriting from his father David, who had established this great power, conquered all the surrounding enemies, and uh, Israel was about to, to enter into the zenith, the golden age. And Solomon feels the weight of this coming on him, and he throws this request up to God that, that he might have wisdom to govern uh, this great people as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And God commends him for that. God says, you, this is a good thing you've asked for. Because you haven't asked for longevity and wealth and power, uh, these things will, will, will accompany you. But, he, but he's pleased with what Solomon has asked for. But what, to me, as a young Christian, was perplexing was, in this reign of Solomon's, we see the seeds, uh, uh, or, or rather the, the increase of prosperity and greatness and majesty under this reign, uh, a great power. But at the same time, we see the seeds of decline being sown. And it hit me one, one day, it just, just, just jumped out to me. What occurred was Solomon, because it was all about relationship, Solomon allowed the relationship to deteriorate with wisdom. And if you remember, he, he talked about wisdom in personal terms. When you look through the books of wisdom, he, he, he's referring to it in a personal way because it was the Holy Spirit who was imparting. And he had that intimate relationship. But the unwise things he did were all those things listed in Deuteronomy 17 that says that when the king is appointed, he should not, you know, gathered all these horses. I think he had something like 44,000 horses or something like that. And not have many wives because if he did so, he would be led astray. And that's exactly what he did. And so we see that the wedge was being driven between him and God and this relationship of intimacy was affected. And he ended up doing very unwise things to the degree that at the end of his reign when his son Rehoboam takes over, the northern part of Israel broke away, the 10 tribes broke away because they, they felt oppressed and heavily burdened with taxation. So these two things occurred during this reign. And I thought, well, 
you know, that's a challenge that we face today in this modern day and age, that we, we live in a time where in an affluent society where we never have enough as a nation, as a society, as individuals. We never have enough. And yet in all this affluence, there is so much to, to lure us away. And with Solomon, he believed the lie. He was led astray by all the idolatry that those multitude of wives brought in. And we have the same challenge today. There is so much craving and demanding our attention. And often we can be lured into believing the lie and being deceived. And I want this morning just to very quickly look at Paul's letter to the Philippians. When Paul says, and I've named the talk this morning, the secret of contentment, because Paul says uh, that he's learned the secret of being content. And then he, he goes on to say, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. And that's why he says in the previous chapter, I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to know Jesus Christ. And I, I briefly want us to look at four gains uh, that we, uh, from the text in Philippians that we read about, that Paul talks that from knowing Jesus Christ, knowing who he is, knowing Jesus, there are four gains that he mentions. And I believe this to be, knowing Jesus, I believe that this is our purpose in life. It is the ultimate goal in life. There is nothing more important than knowing Jesus. If you want to know what you're about, if you want to know what your purpose is, it's that. It's knowing Jesus. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, in whatever context you are, it's knowing Jesus. There is nothing more important. Paul says everything else is lost compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. So before we go any further, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that it's truth. And Lord, I pray now that just as we, we look at these verses, that you would speak to our hearts and minds. Lord, our, our desire, Jesus, our desire is to be like you. We want to walk in your ways. We want to know you more. So I pray, Lord, you put power on these words in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I say, there is so much that is in life that can lure us away. You know, the advertising, we're bombarded with that, that tells us we must have this item or that in order to be happy. Busyness consumes us. That is so much part of this. And, and we feel as though we've got to be busy in order to have value or worth. And yet the scriptures tell us something very different. And so we, we, are, we are led into that instant gratification, pursuing things in order to gratify our desires. We are led down that path that so uh, deceives Believing it to be right, that if we could only just have this, 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 and this, and add that and that, we're going to be content in life. We're going to be happy. And yet we know only too well that it doesn't lead to contentment. It doesn't lead to happiness. And what it does do is, in fact, enslave us. It can enslave us and it can hinder the joy of this truth of knowing Jesus. It gets in the way. It can so create for us issues and problems that otherwise we wouldn't carry if we knew Jesus in a deeper 
and more intimate way. And so Paul says, firstly, he, he lists off all these things that he's just poured his life into. And he says, all this is just, is just lost. It's rubbish. It's a liability compared to knowing Jesus. And Jesus used a similar sort of illustration, highlighting what exactly is going on with Paul here. He said that, you know, a man found a treasure, and he realized when he found this treasure that everything he had was worth nothing compared to this. So he sold it all in order to attain the treasure. And likewise, another man went, found a pearl, sold everything he had in order to get the pearl. And Jesus says that, or, or what he's, he's showing in this, he's saying that the treasure is himself. The pearl is himself. The treasure is salvation. The pearl is salvation. And salvation comes with him. There is nothing that is more important. Hence the reason he challenges the rich young ruler to give it up, to let go and come and follow him and pursue him. Because that's what happens, is it not? We hang on to things tightly. And yet, we really need to have a loose grip on all this stuff. Paul is saying, what are you willing to exchange? Because this is what's going on with him. There's an exchange going on. He's letting go of all this stuff in order to pick up and take on knowing Jesus. And in Acts 9, Luke tells us about the, uh, that dramatic conversion that he had. And we see what happens, how he's on, his, on the route to, to, to kill some more Christians because you know, he saw Christianity as being heretical. He knew what Christ was about. He knew what Christianity, he knew what they were preaching. And he was out to destroy it because he saw that as a hindrance and in opposition to everything else he stood for because he believed that you could attain salvation as he says in uh, Philippians 3, 4 and 5 by trying to observe the rules, the regulation, the ritual, by trying to be right with God through human effort, by trying to be good. And all of this was external. It was all external morality and Christ dramatically breaks in. And here, in these few verses, we see what's going on in the inside with Paul. What was going on with his thinking and his feelings and his will. Let me just read to you. 3 verse 7 says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, he says. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So firstly, these four gains, he says, I want to know Jesus. I want to have a knowledge of Jesus because everything else is excrement, is rubbish in comparison. What is this knowing? 
This knowing, it's, it's not a, he's not talking about just an intellectual thing here, knowing about Jesus. You know, we can reel off all these facts about Jesus, the historical Jesus. But what he's getting at here is that it's something so much deeper than this, about knowing him in our heart, knowing him deep within. And that's why he prays in Ephesians 1.17 for the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know him. It's an experiential knowledge he's talking about. Because salvation is about relationship with Christ, as we know. Coming from this Greek word, gnosis. It's this transcendent, mystical in some ways, intimate, relational, experiencing knowledge of him. And the equivalent of that word gnosis in, in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word yada. And it speaks of a union of love. Abraham, sorry, not Abraham, the first guy, Adam. Adam, Adam and Eve, it uses the word there when Adam knew Eve. This, this union of love, an intimate love relationship. This is the experience we're to have. When you tell people, or you, you, you've all got a story, for those of you who know him as your Lord and Savior, you've got something really wonderful to share with people. And I want to encourage you, you probably already do this, but, but tell people, not about Jesus, don't fire facts about Jesus, or about how wonderful church is and this and that. I mean, not a bad thing to do, but, but primarily, Tell people about what Jesus means to you and about what he's done for you. There's something very powerful in that. When you share what Jesus has done for you and what he means to you. I love my wife. You say, well, I should hope so. (laughs) But I, I love her now more than I've ever loved her. And... I think she'd get up here and say the same thing. At least I hope she would. But now I'm confident she would get up here and say the same thing. But our love deepens and it grows. I love being with her. I love her. I love time with her. And we've just got an intimate, close relationship. But it doesn't just happen. We have to work at that. And we have to guard our time. We have to invest in one another. And great pressure comes on that at times. There's so much demanding our attention in this life, but we guard our time together and we invest in one another. And you know, my prayer is this, that come the day of my death, I will be able to say, I love you more now than I've ever loved you. And along the journey, you know, there are things, because I want to eliminate anything that will hinder that relationship, our relationship. And sometimes she'll say things to me, and it goes in one ear and out of the other. And I think, well, yeah, yeah, well, that's just me. (laughs) That's just me. But then, I don't know, I think it's probably the Holy Spirit. I get a prompting. Actually, did you hear that? Did you hear what she just said? And just recently, there's a number of things that I've been doing all my life that I I just have started to address. I think, yeah, I I need to, I tease all the time. I I just tease all the time. Under strict instructions not to tease, say, jokes about John this morning because... 
Actually, John's been very kind, saying nice things uh, about us, and I'm not used to that. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm used to him being rude. But, but sometimes, sometimes I... I forgot what I was saying. What was I saying? Sometimes I just uh, uh, feel that... Actually, Jonathan, you've taken that too far. I need to deal with that. And the reason I want to deal with that, you know, because what was highlighted to me, a lot of it, there's a lot of self-gratification in that. But I see certain things as hindering going deeper with her. Going deeper with her. I say all this because, you know, our relationship with the Lord, this is the same thing with Jesus. To get to know him more, Guys, we've got to spend time with him, invest time with him. So I want to remind you of that. Invest time with him. Practice his presence. Just be with him. Do you know he loves being with you? He's waiting to spend time with you day in, day out. Just sit and be with him. Invite the Holy Spirit to come and just enjoy being in his presence. Listen to him. Listen to what he's saying. But listen and put it into practice, what you hear. So that's the first thing. Paul, you know, when he's talking about knowing Jesus, this is what he's meaning. He's meaning, he uses this phrase, in Christ, so many times in his letters. And what he's meaning, they're so intertwined. They're so intertwined. You know, I don't know where, where I finish off and Jesus starts, or where Jesus, you know, finishes off and I start. We're so intertwined. It's that kind of union, that kind of relationship. And he's saying, this is the secret to contentment. You see, we wouldn't fill our lives with a lot of this stuff that we so readily crave and want because we would find our satisfaction and our contentment in knowing him. That's the truth. That's what it is. Secondly, Paul says this. He says that we have a righteousness that comes from God. And again, I've already alluded to Paul was just, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, believing that salvation came by trying to be right and good. And the, 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 there were 600 and something laws that are in the, in the Old Testament. The Pharisees added way more, pages and pages of more laws, putting a burden on the people. He believed this was the way. And boy, what a guilt trip. What a deception. The burden and the, the weight that comes on, the guilt, the shame when you drop the ball. What a way to be. And then, boom, Christ breaks into his life and he experiences this liberty and freedom. And he says, it's all loss, it's all done compared to knowing him. And I have a righteousness that is in faith, in God, through faith, sorry. None of this righteousness of self-control, of the external morality, the hardness that comes with that. No, it's being transformed through knowing him and allowing him to fill our lives to such a degree. That's what, what is righteousness? It's right standing with God. And so all that we try to do and achieve, you know, whatever you think your greatest prayer is, whatever you think, when you start getting proud about this, that, and the other, don't. Because whatever is working in that degree in your life is a work of the Holy Spirit. We receive and believe that's how we're made right with God. Do you know, you, in this moment, you cannot make God love you any more 
or any less than he does. That's the truth. And when you drop the ball, when you mess up, dust yourself down, get back on your feet, and don't let the enemy get in. Don't let him get in. Because that's, what he's, that's, that's how he plays. He'll sow seeds into your mind and your thinking. How you think is so important. He'll tell you you're not good enough. He'll tell you that God's angry with you. There's no condemnation, Paul says, for those in Christ Jesus. Paul, again in Romans 3, 19 to 20, talks about you know, our standards, our self-righteousness falls way below. It's impossible, in other words. This is the only route in through faith. And what a relief that that is for us. Right standing with God. God accepts you. You know, when I, when I was first encountered the Holy Spirit in, in, in the way that I did, and in filling of the Holy Spirit, that was the thing that blew me away. I had all this stuff in my life. And I was blown away by the fact that, gosh, you really do love me. You really do accept me. Here and now, as I am, with all my stuff, you love me. It's true. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. This is the righteousness that comes from God. Guys, this is an incredibly good message to give to people. This is such good news. People that are burdened. This is why Jesus said, come to me. You are heavy laden and burdened. Come to me and I will give you rest. Thirdly, the power of Jesus. We gain the power of Jesus Christ. Paul says, in knowing him, I want to know him. We have a righteousness that comes from faith, from God, by faith. And he says this, that we can gain the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. These are the keys to being content. Verse 10. He says this. Let me read it to you again. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. You know, Jesus' display of power was uh, his uh, pinnacle. Its ultimate point was, was in the resurrection. Yeah. But walking on the sea and commanding the waves, winds and waves, when he demonstrated that ultimate power, it was both physical and spiritual. He defeated all the demons of hell. Physically, he conquered death. Uh, back in the 90s. I, I, I've, I've always known Jesus. I can't think of a time when I've not known him. I grew up in a Christian household. And um, I, I, along the journey, I made you know, a couple of commitments uh, to the Lord and, and through, as, a, as, a, as a teenager. Under David Watson's ministry, actually. I used to listen to, go and listen to David Watson, a great evangelist in New York, and he often had these guest services. And I can remember being challenged in those and, and responding uh, to commitment. But there was a point in my life when I did this. I refer to my prodigal years. And uh, I just pursued a hedonistic lifestyle. Very, uh, very much deceived. And <laughs> for a while, having a, a whale of a time. But something started to, a realization that something was missing deep within. That relationship, that connection, so impacted, affected. 
And I started coming back to the Lord. There was a, uh, a young woman came into our life who was working on our farm. I was brought up in a farming background. And she was, I look back now and, you know, how the Lord used her in bringing me back. And she was like my conscience. She was always convicting me, you know, ticking me off for all the stuff I was, you know, doing. And uh, great girl. And uh, I went back into to, to church and, and I'd stepped aside for a while. And I, I came to a real time of repentance. And then it was around about the time of the Toronto blessing, the early 90s. And God was pouring out his spirit, and there was all this weird stuff going on. And I, I just said, Lord, I hate this. I can't stand this. Well, yeah, what on earth is this? This isn't church. And um, <laughs> I came to the point where I said, but if it's you, I'm up for it. I'll have it. Just throw it. Let me, I'll have it, Lord. And as soon as I prayed that prayer, it was a ministry packed church. And I went down in the spirit. Somebody was praying, I felt this heat, and I just went down on the floor. And uh, I thought, gosh, have I just put that on? And I climbed back onto my feet. And no sooner I climbed back onto my feet, I was back down again. And it's as though the Lord says, I haven't done with you yet. And, but, but this is what I want to share with you. is that when I eventually, I don't know how long I was out on the floor, but when I got back onto my feet, I knew I was getting up as a different man. I just knew that life was never going to be the same again. I knew there were deep changes going on. And that's exactly what happened. A lot of my desires just, you know, they died with me down on the floor and I rose up in more of Jesus Christ. That was the power at work in, our, in my life. And there is other stuff that, you know, I battle with and it's a lifelong process in one degree, but every now and again, you know, you just have breakthrough. If you're struggling, if you're wrestling with sin this morning, there's areas of sin that you've, you're just battling with, you know, it's so easy to get disheartened and Lord, I, I just keep, I just can't seem to nail this. Keep praying. Keep, keep sharing, confessing it. Get with somebody you just trust and love and share that stuff. That's one of the things I, I do, Nikki and I do together. We lead transparent lives as much as possible. We get everything out there. I'm wrestling with this, I'm struggling with that. And eventually you will get breakthrough. You know, God's power will come. And he will, you'll see breakthrough. What difficulties you're facing. Opposition. So Paul's saying, I want to know this power and experience it in my life. Power to overcome. Power to deal with sin. Power to serve. Power to witness. Boldness. You know, and all these characteristics started coming into my life and continue to develop and grow. We have this power available to us. Keep asking God for it. Keep pursuing him. Finally, and very quickly, Paul says that we have fellowship with him. We have fellowship. This is the fourth game I want to highlight. I want to know Jesus Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Participation in his sufferings. You know, life's, I don't need to tell you, life's not easy, it's hard. It's hard. And inevitably, at certain stages in life, we, will, we, we face suffering. We encounter suffering and hardship. I'll tell you very quickly, I, I used to play a lot of rugby, you know, and uh, I used to play down the road here at university. For three years, I played, played rugby, and um, 
Years ago, I heard a, I heard a vicar, an Anglican vicar, telling this story. And uh, I found it quite amusing when he told it. But what, the very same experience happened to me playing rugby. And there's this, this uh, team we were playing. It was Durham University. They had a couple of individuals in their team, the, the largest guys I'd ever seen in my life. And um, there came to a point uh, in the game, we were, we were getting a bit of a trouncing, really. We were, we were struggling, to say the least. But there came a point in the game where I got the ball, and I saw a, a gap, and I thought, ah, try on here. There's a, yeah, sort of sped for it. But out of the corner of my eye, I, I, I didn't see one of them, but I saw both of the two of the largest guys on the pitch making their way toward me. And... Uh, I don't know if you remember Bill McLaren, the old rugby commentator, great, wonderful uh, Scottish commentator. He would have described them as perambulating lighthouses. And um, they were making their way rapidly towards me. Then I heard the voice, uh, a shout from one of my teammates, with you, and I, I just passed the ball out to him. Beautiful pass. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, he was pulverised instead of me. It's what's known in the game as a hospital pass. <laughs> but I share that because <laughs> so often in life is this not the case when you are facing what seems unsurmountable difficulties or something that's really pressing and troubling. How often do you hear that with you? I'm with you. I'm with you. I know. joy of knowing his presence and his strength and him being with you when you are facing difficulties, when you are going through suffering. You see, we have one to go to who suffered way more than anything we will go through, who knows more about suffering. I mean, we've never sweat blood as he did in Gethsemane, such was the weight that was coming upon him, taking upon sin. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And you know, as the world wears the first call, it's either the bottle, the pub, or it's the shopping malls. And even we can be guilty of that when things are hard, and when suffering and Hardship comes, the temptation is, I need some comfort. I need some relief. I need escape. Turn to Jesus. Go to him. Go to him straight away. He's with you. And he will strengthen you because he knows what you're going through. And there is great comfort in one who knows what you're going through and how you're feeling and draw strength from that. Draw strength from it. This is why he says in Ephesians 3, the prayer Nikki read earlier, you know, he talks about being strengthened in our inner being. And then in verse 20, he talks about we are able to do immeasurably more in him who gives us power. So Paul says this. He says, knowing Jesus, there's nothing compares. Nothing What's getting in the way of you knowing Jesus this morning? What's in your life that you just know is a hindrance that's preventing you from going deeper? And in knowing Jesus, you've got right standing with God. He loves you. 
He loves you, he loves you. He accepts you. And he says you've got power to do life. You've got power to serve. You've got power to be a witness. You've got all that you need in him. And you've got one, when the difficulties come, who walks side by side with you and is with you. To him be the glory forever and ever. Paul finishes off, guys, the best is yet to come. One day we get our new bodies. One day we will be, we will be like him. As we see him, we will be fully like him. The best is yet to come. What a hope we have. What a message we have. What a wonderful savior we've got in Jesus Christ. Go and tell them. Go and tell people this incredible, incredible relationship you have. Amen.